Yes, yes, yes. I have, I hope, a lot of good things to say, but I think the statement of the day that I will remember as I leave the gathering today and as I ponder throughout the week is that God's desire is to kick poverty right out of your life. Man, that's good. That needs to be on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or something. His desire is that you prosper and be in health. He's made you the head and not the tail. And his desire is to kick poverty right out of your life. I love that. Thank you, Kevin. That was good. Good morning to you guys. Happy Sunday. The sun is shining. And yesterday it shined as well, but man, was it cold. Talking to Mike Tyndall, and Mike said, very deceptive. He went out and did a little yard work and didn't realize that his snot became snot sickles. <laughs> it, was, it was chilly. But spring is coming. Warmer weather is on its way. If you were able to be here last week or catch it online, we were in the book of Ruth. And we talked about a few things. I just want to kind of catch you up. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible, and the number eight means new beginning. And so we see this in the life of Naomi, and today we will see this in the life of Ruth. Ruth's single choice when she told Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Her choice to follow Naomi into the land of Israel led to, chapter 2, blessings of hand, by the handfuls. And we talked about how Boaz told his workers, let handfuls on purpose drop for her. But also we saw that it is handfuls of purpose. And so what that means is God is intentionally good Boaz was being intentionally good to Ruth because of his compassion and mercy and his heart. And God is intentionally good to us because he loves us and he has a plan for us. And then later in, the, in chapter two, we saw the thankful heart of Naomi and how a thankful heart does two things. It blesses others and it blesses God. And if you're around someone who is thankful, you can testify how good it is to hear them speak because they are going to present words of thankfulness and appreciation and blessings to you and to others. So today, part two of Ruth, the adopted foreigner. Please look at chapter three today, and we... We'll begin reading. Does anybody else beside me have a, uh, like a fingerprint phone? Do you guys ever have those moments where the fingerprint, it's like no match? And so it's okay because it's supposed to recognize my face. And it's not going to do that either. <laughs> so Angie, please put up, I believe in chapter three, our first character we're going to look at today is Ruth. All right? And uh, I'd like to walk through... Uh, some, some characters and their characteristics. And so the first thing I want to see in the life of Ruth is her obedience. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3, and this is where I'm hoping that 
hey, there we go. Verse five of chapter three, and, and just leave it up there, uh, Angie. No, Naomi told Ruth, this is good that you're able to glean food and, and provide for us. And so what you need to do is, is realize that Boaz, the fellow that owns the field that you've been gleaning in, he is a near uh, relative of ours. He's a kinsman. That's like an old word. We don't talk about that anymore. But kinsman, uh, in relation, we, they, had to, they, they were related. And so she said, here's what you need to do, uh, Ruth. You need to go to him and you need to do a little bit of a custom and let him know that you guys are relatives. And it was kind of different. You can read about this in verses one through four of chapter three, but it was Jewish custom that if this was the case, that she was to go into him and she was just to lay at his feet and present herself as a servant in need of redemption. And so as Naomi shares this cultural tradition with Ruth, Ruth says this in, in verse five. Ruth said to her, all that you say unto me, I will do. Pastor and I, we love to talk about songs that we were uh, able to sing growing up. And as you guys know, one of his more favorite songs to sing growing up was Trust and Obey. And if you really chew on this, it's not just trust. I trust God. I trust that God's gonna take care of me. And if you're not willing to walk in the second part, you're limiting his power in his blessing because it's trust and obey. Ruth could have told Naomi, well, I trust everything that you just told me. I know that I need to go present myself and put myself at the feet of the, of the kinsman. And I trust you, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make myself available. I'm not going to walk through this act of obedience. She would have missed out. And you and I can say all we want to. We trust God. Oh, I just trust God's going to take care of me. I'm, I'm not doing my part to help God kick poverty out of my life, but I trust him. Oh, you know, I know God's the healer. I'm not praying and I'm not walking in faith. I trust him. Uh, I want to be blessed of the Lord, but I'm not in obedience. Good luck with that. that that's not going to work out very well for you. I'm sorry. There is this level of obedience. I picked on Mark Hoffman, you know, weeks ago when I was able to, to teach. But, you know, as a trainer, I can listen to everything good he has to say. But if I don't do it, it's not going to help. It's, it's my choice. And so Ruth was walking in obedience. The Bible tells us several things about obedience. Isaiah 119 is one of my favorite verses. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. Those are things that, that God is encouraging us. You have to be willing to go and then obedient to do it. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they're watching for your soul. And pastor, like, I miss you and uh, glad that you're on the mend and anxious to have you back. I've really thought of you as this verse came forth because obey them that have the rule over you. Who has the rule over you in this house? It's pastor. 
It's not that he's trying to be a dictator. He's trying to present the word of God with love for whose benefit? Yours. Um, If he didn't care, he wouldn't be here. And the Bible says to submit yourselves to that authority. Why? Because they're watching for your souls because he's going to have to give an account. The buck stops here. And he wants to do it with joy and not with grief because that's unprofitable for you. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Show honor to your father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long. And I encourage anyone who's still living at home under your parents' authority. You don't necessarily need to agree, but you do need to obey because that comes with, the blessing comes with obedience. So we see Ruth's obedience. We also see her humility. Look at verses eight and nine. It came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid because there was a lady laying at his feet He turned himself, and behold, a woman lay there, and he said, Who art thou? And she said, I am Ruth, thine handmaid, or thy servant. Humility is tough because it says less of me. And and we, we say, you know, that may seem like a negative thing. But to walk in humility is a characteristic of Jesus. Read through the Gospels. He was humble. There was nothing fancy about him. He treated others with respect, and and he humbled himself under the hand of the Father. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're pointing to someone else for credit, you're humble. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek or the humble for they shall inherit the earth. And you know, I I heard a good definition of meek years ago. Um, Meek is not weak. Meek is strength controlled. And I really, really like that. You could be someone who carries great strength, but if you're able to control it, you're considered meek, poor in spirit, humble of the Lord. And he smiles on that. We were getting, getting ready to come out here and we were praying in pastor's office and we were just talking about the greatness of God. Our job is to put the spotlight on him. And when we try to put the spotlight on ourselves, it doesn't work out very well. We need to see the value in being humble. And Ruth saw that as she was obedient to Naomi. We also see Ruth's reputation. Look at verses 10 and 11. These really jumped out to me. Boaz said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. You have showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. 
And now, my daughter, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Look at this. There are three things that Boaz said about Ruth. He said, first of all, she was kind. And how good it is to be around people who are just kind. They're just smiling. They just say a good word or something encouraging. She also showed wisdom and discernment. We were at a student convention this past week in Warrensburg. And we're there with, you know, 200 uh, teenagers from five different states. And so you have a chance to speak with a couple of them, you know, throughout the week. And this one young lady, Abigail, um, she and her mom were visiting with me. And Abigail is 15, um, going on 16, and she wanted to let me know, 237 days and I'll be 16. And I said, okay. And I looked at mom and I said, wow, you know, those are, those are important days. And uh, she said, well, there's a reason behind that. I said, well, I'm sure 16 is a big age. She said, no, no, no. There's a certain gentleman who has expressed interest in seeing her. But we have a rule at our house that there will be none of that until you're 16. And so she knows that in 237 days, when Wyatt wants to pursue her, that there'll be a little bit more of a blessing on that than there is right now. Because right now, mom says, it ain't happening. And so I looked at Abigail and throughout all this, you know, she's smiling when Wyatt's name is mentioned and her cheeks get a little rosy. And I said, uh, I said, is he a nice guy? She said, he's very nice, very nice. I said, well, you know, what do you, what do you like about him? And she said, his hair. I said, okay, well, that's fine, you know. And I leaned in and I said, could I just speak into your life for just a few moments? And she said, absolutely. She was very receptive. And I said, speaking as a former teenage boy, we're really pretty weird, especially at that age. And we don't always make the best decisions. And so I said, I don't know why. I'm sure he's a great guy. But he'll still be a great guy when you turn 16. And so that's fine. I said, more than likely right now, Abigail, he's not quite ready to be worthy of your heart. And I see this here in Ruth, because in town, she could have been seeking out anybody. She was, you know, a, a foreign lady in a new land, and people were talking about her, and she probably had a little buzz and a little stir going around, and she could have probably had a boyfriend or two or three, but Boaz said, I've been watching you, and I see the wisdom that you have. I see the discernment that you have. You're not following after the young guys. Doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. You are just walking right now in wisdom and discernment. And so that's just a little side note, not here in my notes, but for those of you who are younger, you know, Gracie, as those young men come into your life, you may actually want to listen to mom and dad and understand that following after someone at a young age isn't always the best idea. Um, there's discernment and wisdom in just being patient and waiting. And Boaz saw that. And then he also said, you're virtuous. 
He said, those in the city have already been talking about you and they see that you carry virtue. You walk just in that way. And, and so her reputation was one of those things that was superseding her. It was walking in front of her. And I appreciate this in Ruth and we're gonna come back to Ruth in a second. But I want now to shift your attention from the, the main female lead into the main male of this, of this uh, discussion and this portion of scripture. And his name is Boaz. And uh, Boaz being the owner of the field, allowing Ruth to glean in it to provide food. We've already seen the generosity that comes from Boaz. He didn't have to do what he did. He didn't have to tell his reapers, dump handfuls on purpose for her. He could have just let that go, but his heart was that of generosity. And in Luke 6.38, Jesus says this, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. We are encouraged to be givers. Kevin has already done that today. But what a great reminder. If you are a giver, God will bless that. Uh, Ecclesi- I don't have this written down. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, cast your bread on the water, you'll find it after many days. If you put blessings out, blessings will come back. The generosity of Boaz is evident in, in how he offered generously and kindly to Ruth to provide food. We also see his honesty in verse number four. I do want to read that. And and so I've jumped ahead just a little bit, so I'm sorry. I need to bring you back uh, into the story. I said that Ruth had this custom and she needed to go and present herself to Boaz as he being a near relative And Boaz recognized that and said, I appreciate your kindness. I appreciate your integrity, your reputation, and I'll do what needs to be done. And so we're going into more Jewish custom now. In chapter four, the custom was, if you were presented the opportunity to get involved in in your family in this situation, and, and Boaz's opportunity was that he could actually take over and buy all that belonged to Naomi as she owned spots of land there in Israel. But not only that, he had the opportunity to redeem the land and to marry Ruth and become her husband and continue to provide uh, as the, the father, the husband, and continue the family lineage. And so by agreeing to do what he did in chapter three, then you needed to go in front of everyone there in the city gates and proclaim your intention. And so here in chapter four uh, and verse four, he is in front of those that are there at the city. And he said, I thought to advertise thee saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. Now he's talking to someone who's actually one step closer to Ruth than he is one step closer to Naomi in relationship. And so he is the, in fact, nearest kinsman. And Boaz says, before I can buy you, Ruth, and and marry you, and before I can buy this land, we need to tell and be honest that I'm not the nearest kinsman. 
And so he says, if you will redeem it in verse four, redeem it. But if not, if you won't redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is none to redeem it besides thee and I am after thee. And the guy said, yeah, I'll buy the land. I'll be the, the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz later on says, oh, and by the way, if you buy the land, you also need to marry Ruth. And the guy goes, oh, I, I can't do that. I'm gonna be unable to do that. And so Boaz was honest in his presentation. And I wanted to just take a moment and talk about the importance of honesty. Uh, we don't have to walk in integrity all the time because people aren't always around. There are things you can do there are things I can do to be dishonest when no one is watching. Jenny and I just had to do taxes. Just went this past week to the office there and, you know, filled out some paperwork and did some things. And there are plenty of opportunities to be dishonest when it comes to taxes. But see, we very much want to be honest when people are watching and when they're not. Proverbs 23, verse 23, says this, buy the truth and sell it not. Don't compromise honesty. Wear the belt of truth because it keeps all the pieces of armor in place. And Boaz could have done several things to bypass the law, but instead he walked in truth and honesty. Let's be people that are different than the world because of our honesty and our character. Let people see something different in us that they want. We are encouraged to be salt and light. Salt makes one thirsty. I very much want to make people thirsty for Jesus and for relationship with him. I want to do it through, yes, my generosity. Yes, through my uh, kindness and wisdom. But I want to do it through my honesty. And Boaz presented honesty as he walked the people through this situation. And last but not least in Boaz's life, we see his intention and his integrity. And I want to read verse 10 of chapter 4. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. Why? To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren from the gate of his place. You are witnesses this day. Boaz didn't have a side hustle going on. He didn't have an ulterior motive. He was walking in honesty. He was walking in integrity of the law. And he was going to marry Ruth because her husband had died and she, he wanted to help fulfill the law and continue a lineage in her life and in the life of Naomi. So we've looked at Ruth and the characteristics that she displays. And we've looked at Boaz and the godly characteristics that he carries. And one last character I want to look at this morning, and that is Naomi. She started us out last week. She was the first one that we really discussed as she and her husband left the country. They went to Moab because of a famine. Her husband died. Her two sons took daughters, and the, hus and the two sons died. And here the three girls decide... Life needs to change. 
And we saw this that Naomi last week said, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which means bitter because she was angry at God. Which I think that there are times we can say we've all been there. Angry with God. Not the way that I would have planned it, God. This is not how I drew it up. When I thought how this was going to work in my life, this wasn't the plan. It was a hiccup in the road. It was a wrench in the works. It was something different. And how do we respond? How do we react? And Naomi reacted honestly. She became angry and and bitter. So often we see throughout Psalms that David was a little angry and upset with God, but he always came back to the truth that God is worthy to be praised and worthy to be trusted and worthy to be obeyed. And so Naomi helps Ruth as they go through this process of finding a place and and finding food and and being able to to provide and just live. And so this this gets crazy. Ruth and Boaz get married, okay? Yay! Love story. That's a hallmark moment. Which you know what's going to happen at the end, but you're still like, I'm so intrigued to see how they're going to get together. Boaz and Ruth get together. They, they get married. And they have a son. Exciting. They gave him a really weird name, Obed. I don't know any Obeds, but that's what they named him. O-B-E-D. Obed. And Obed grew up and got married. And he, and he had a son. And the son had a son. And the lineage continued. But here we find Naomi getting to be a grandmother. I'm not a grandmother or a grandfather, neither. People that are grandparents tell me it's the greatest thing ever. It's so weird because I thought being a parent was like the greatest thing ever. So I I don't even know. I can't fathom that because I'm not one. But I take your word for it, those of you who are grands, that it's a grand thing to be a grand. Naomi, who thought her life was done, who thought that God had abandoned her, that she had no purpose left in life. Now fast forward years and she finds herself a grandmother there in her own hometown. And I'd like to read uh, verses 14 through 17. Chapter four. The woman, the women of the town said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, who loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, Obed, took little baby Obed, and laid it in her bosom, and she became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, who we don't really know a whole lot about, except what we know about Jesse is he's the father of David. This blows my mind. 
King David, the David, the one who slayed the giant, the one who became king of Israel, David, the one who wrote over 75 of the 150 chapters of Psalm, David, the one that Jesus was named after, they called Jesus the son of David. This David came from Jesse, that came from Obed, that came from Ruth and Boaz. Naomi gets this treasure in her life. And when you think that God has abandoned you, think again. He hasn't. He still has a plan for you. He still wants to throw handfuls of purpose down for you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. No matter what the enemy may say, he loves you. His promise for Naomi came to fulfillment as Obed was laid in her arms. And I'm sure that the look on her face was that only that a grandma can give whenever her grandchild is laid in her arms for the first time. <clears throat> and you guys have been so gracious because this is really an interesting book that has so much more to it that I just wasn't able to get to. And there are so many weird parts of Ruth. If you read chapter three in this custom of Ruth going in and laying it at Boaz's feet and even backing up into chapter two where, you know, she couldn't go apply for financial aid from the government. She just had to go glean in a field and try to get food for herself. These are all some weird and different things. But the book of Ruth is presented to us for a very, very, very specific reason. <clears throat> and I put this, um, we were putting a title together and putting it on Facebook and I said, Come listen to the story of Ruth and learn how her life applies to you. And so, you know, we can read this and we can take great truths from the word of God and the life of Ruth. But my question to you is, I hope this is the same question that you have. How does that affect me? How does reading about Ruth, a foreigner, brought into a, a new land, made to work and beg for food and finding someone to actually love and marry and have a child, how does that affect me? And so here's the answer to that. I am Ruth. And you are Ruth. I am Ruth in that I don't belong where I am. My sin nature made some place besides the church my home. I was born into sin. I have the nature of my father, Adam, in me. And my sin separated me from the promise. 
I'm not walking in the promised land yet because I'm walking in sin. And I'm walking in a strange land just as Ruth was in the land of Moab where they worshiped thousands of gods, not Jehovah. She didn't even know who God was, the true and the only one and true God, a foreigner. But something happened. Through a decision that she made, she was able to experience walking in a land that she had never walked. As a foreigner in Moab, there looks like there's no way for her to walk through the promised land. And as a sinner born into sin, carrying my guilt and shame and all that I do wrong, there is nothing that looks like that I could ever receive the promise from a holy God. And God said this of me, I'll take you and I'll place you right here. And God took Ruth and he placed her right here. How crazy to think that a lady from another country now falls in Matthew chapter 1. In the lineage of Jesus where it says, and Adam begat Seth and Seth and down and all through to, from Abraham, then down through David and all the way through Jesus. His family tree, if you read it, Ruth drops right in there because she married Boaz. They had Obed, who later became the grandfather of King David, and Jesus was the son of David. And so God takes Ruth from nowhere and snatches her and adopts her and engrafts her into the lineage of Jesus, into the family of God. And that's just what he did to me. He took me and he grabbed me and he adopted me and now I am part of his family. He did that through Boaz in Ruth's life because Boaz said, I will redeem her. I will purchase the land. I will do to her and show her kindness and generosity. And, and, and Boaz is known as a kinsman redeemer, a close relative who is ready to redeem. I looked up redemption, and this is just, this is so good. To redeem means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. To redeem means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for me? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you if you've come to a saving knowledge of him? Redemption, to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something or someone. Jesus' purchase on the cross, the shedding of his blood, redeemed me. It bought me back. It brought me to a place of relationship with him. He is compensating for my faults because I can't. He is giving me something in exchange for payment and I couldn't make that payment. I didn't have it in my account. Insufficient funds. But he said, I'll pay for it with my blood and I'll stamp you paid in full and I will redeem you. And Boaz did that for Ruth and Jesus did that for us. And there is a promise there is a promise then 
that comes whenever we walk in obedience and we are ready to be used of God, we can be dropped into the family tree of Jesus. And now I am called a child of God. I am in his family, bought with a price, redeemed, reconciled, brought into relationship. And you can say all that along with me if you've made the choice like Ruth made in chapter one. God, where you go, I'll go. What you want me to do, I'll do. What you want me to say, I'll say, I'm gonna submit myself to your will. I'm gonna say, come in and be Lord of my life and redeem me from destruction and bring me from a foreigner into a family member. Redeem my life from destruction. Crown me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Satisfy my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. That's what he wants to do. But there's something that you need to do. And it's something that Ruth did at the very beginning. And she made a choice. She could have went back to the foreign land. There's a time in my life I could have just said, no, I'm going to continue in sin. I'm going to continue being lost. God, I don't want what you have for me. I'm going to make it my way. Ruth could have made the same decision, but she didn't. I can't make a decision for you just like you can't make a decision for me. If listening online or here in person, you've not been engrafted and adopted into the family of God, I wanna give you that opportunity. There is a time where you need to say, Lord, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I confess that I am a sinner and my sin separates me from you. And I get up and I walk in guilt and shame and condemnation and that's not of you. You said, let's trade burdens. You said, take on my burden. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Let me take your sin, your guilt, your condemnation. I'll take it. And if you haven't accepted Jesus, he wants to take all that from you. He wants to rid you of that sin walk and he wants you in adopted relationship with him. Because the good news is he's provided a way for us to be covered by the grace of God. It's a beautiful, wonderful, glorious grace. The church is named appropriately. Oh, the grace of God, how it wows me every day. But if it doesn't wow you, then maybe you need to ask him to come in and be Lord of your life and be like Ruth and make a decision. You guys stand with me, please. Father, I thank you that your word isn't just stories or not, it's not just accounts. It is there for us. We are Ruth and you are Boaz. You want to redeem us. Lord, if there is someone here or someone watching that doesn't have relationship with you, they are still a foreigner walking in a foreign land. And the Bible says the road 
is wide that leads to hell and many there be that find it. But God, we wanna be on the straight and the narrow with you as Lord, with you as guide. Lord, I pray that as we would sing this morning, we'd make a decision. And that decision is simply to say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I confess that I'm a foreigner walking in sin, but I want your promise. And I invite you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that your sacrifice of death on the cross, your burial in the tomb, and your resurrection provides redemption for me. God, that's what they need to pray. That's the decision that they need to make. And I pray that that would be the case, God. I invite you that know the Lord as your Savior as we sing. If you're comfortable and you want to raise your hands and say, God, I'm so thankful for your grace and for adopting me. You can do that from your seat. You can come down here and worship. You can come to this altar and just pray for whatever. There may be people in your life, in your family that you know they don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want them to know the Jesus that you know. This altar is open. You come pray, you come worship as God leads this morning.
thank you and thank you and thank you and thank you and the sum of all of our praises they still fall shy but God I thank you today if we've made a decision for you to invite you into our life God that we're covered and I'm thankful I'm so thankful God bless the day all that we do Pray that we would carry your light. We would let our light shine before men that they may see good works and in so doing glorify our Father who is in heaven. Thank you for giving us this wonderful account of Ruth, Boaz, how it relates to us. God, your word changes us and I'm so thankful for it. Thank you for this wonderful group, God. I speak life and blessings and health and protection over them. Thank you that they will walk this week in your grace. And we'll give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. See you on Wednesday.